0: Hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society We have spotted a man with a donut in one hand And rosary beads in another Child, I'm about to whoop Satan's behind He is boldly proclaiming truth and reason Like no rigid Catholic ever has before The David L. Gray Show begins now Welcome back in to the David L. Gray show, voicing truth and reason. Man, this is a live stream. I haven't done this in like forever. Hope I remember how. <laughs> um as you come in, make sure you hit that like button. I'm trying to build up my my YouTube channel back up. You get this thing pumping again. So the YouTube algorithm is really pretty simple. If you like the video. Um, YouTube will show it to other people to see if they like it. So the more you like the video, the more you comment, the more YouTube shares it. So like I said, it's, it's a pretty simple algorithm. But it all begins with you hitting that like button. So I appreciate it. Got an interesting show for you today. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. This is a, a, the influence of Freemasonry. The influence that Freemasonry has had. And the lasting influence that has had on the United States. So we're going to talk about that in particular in what's called the Greek letter rights. So these are Greek letter fraternities that had either been founded or influenced by Freemasonry. So these are Greek letter organizations, predominantly college um, undergraduate, perhaps graduate fraternities that had either been founded or influenced by Uh, members who were Freemasons or members who had been heavily influenced by Freemasonry. So we're going to run them down. I think it's like 14 of them. So we're going to run it down. And this is a topic that I've talked about in other places um, over at one Peter five Uh, earlier this year or late last year, I wrote an article called the the United States of Freemasonry and I outlined and I demonstrated and approved how Freemasonry was um, a country that was established by Masonic principles the Declaration of Independence reads is, is basically a piece of Masonic literature. It's a genre of Masonic literature, a Declaration of Independence. Um, so up, 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 up and down, um, there's clear evidence that the United States was founded by Masonic principles. I don't think there should be any question to the fact. So if you want more details about that, yeah, go over 1 Peter 5, check out my, my essay there, The United States of Freemasonry. Also talk about the subject, obviously, in my book, the Catholic Catechism on Freemasonry. I'll talk about it in there, and find out more information about that. Just hop over to my website, DavidLGray.info. Click on Freemasonry. You'll see everything I've ever written about that. You'll see my my clap my my sixteen uh, piece lecture course on the subject of uh, Freemasonry from uh, from a Catholic perspective. Um, you pretty much see everything. So just go to DavidLGray.info. It's the really the, the one jump off site where you can see everything that I've written on this topic. But I think it's interesting. I think I want to preface it, preface the, the whole subject like this. I'll say that from 1717, the reorganization of Freemasonry as we know it today, until 1917. Aside from Protestantism, which comes online about 1517, Aside from Protestantism, Freemasonry probably has the most penetrating influence of any organization um, probably in the last, I don't know, four two thousand years. I mean, is is that influential? It's just the the footprints, the traces, the the seas that it leaves throughout institutions throughout the Western hemisphere. It influences so many institutions and this impact is so lasting and deep that we still can look at the subject that we're going to talk about today and say, hey, man, these guys um, just left their seeds everywhere. And we have to see how, um, you know, what impact that 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 has. So so Freemasonry influences institutions. For us, Protestantism influences culture and institutions. So Freemasonry isn't as penetrating as a Protestantism is because Freemasonry is elitist, it's private. Everyone doesn't belong. Anyone can become a Protestant, right? It's just easy access. So um, Protestantism really influences culture and institutions. That's why it's so, so penetrating. That's why it has destroyed societies, right? Altogether, just wholesale. Um, but Freemasonry just penetrates institutions. So, so yeah, so from 1717 to the communist revolution with the Bolsheviks in Russia, um, Freemasonry just has this 200 year reign of where it's just like influencing institution after institution, country after country, founding document after founding document. And then, and then after that, after seventeen seventeen, it really starts to wane as influence, you know, for a number of reasons. Number one, because the influence of communism, communism hates Freemasonry, aside from probably Cuba. That's the only place where they kinda get along well. But largely communists hate Freemasonry because Freemasonry is um it, it views it as a threat for the obvious reasons, right? Um you know, it views it as an export. It views it as a, an organization that, um, that that meets in secret. It, it basically, <laughs> you know, looks at, it views Freemasonry as a threat for the same reason that c- the Catholic Church is, you know, because communism has its own God, the state, right? <laughs> And so it looks at Freemasonry. Freemasons have their own God, All right. They, they have their own moral law. So it's it's two competing organizations which just cannot get along together well. So everywhere that Communism comes online. Freemasons are either exiled, uh, sometimes killed, right? So this is why you see in places like in Nazi. And I talk about this, another essay that I wrote over at 1 Peter 5. What was the name of that article? It was called 300 Years of Masonic Infiltration. I talk about it at some particular points in time. uh, Catholics and uh, Freemasons found some common ground because the the enemy of your enemy is my friend type of thing. So in places like Nazi, you know, like Nazi Germany, Catholics and uh, Freemasons both had, they were working together in the resistance because that was, it was a mutual enemy. So yeah, anyway, so, so, so for that reason, Freemasonry influence starts to wane after that. They're, their pool of money starts to wane after that. So less money, less influence. And so I kind of laugh at people today, you know, when they, when they, when they see, I'm probably, cause I spent 10 years in Freemasonry. I kind of, I have a, you know, a different understanding of it. And so when I see people, you know, talk about Freemasonry today, ah, I like Freemasonry is such a dangerous thing. Um, the, the LGBT lobby, the skittle lobby, and the techocracy—the dominance of tech in this world—has achieved things in the last ten years that Freemasonry Freemasons could only have dreamed of in 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 two hundred years. The things that the LGBT group, that agenda, that program has accomplished in just a span of ten years, they have their flag planted in nearly every country. You used to be used to have to, for your flag to be planted in a country and be waved over the state house. You used to have to have have, have fought a war, um, taking some prisoners and like taking over a country for a country to fly your flag over state houses but the lgbt group they've accomplished that in nearly every country their ideology is fully embraced it's they have the benefit of, of law in 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 so many countries freemasonry never <laughs> achieved anything such as the dominance that we we've seen with the lgbt group there's been there's been nothing like it so and the same with the techocracy. Um, they own data. <laughs> they know everything about us and they can make people disappear. They can shut people down. They can silence people. So uh, Freemasonry has never been able to touch anything, whether it's been the Grand Orient um, st- style of Freemasonry out of France and Italy or, or whether it's been the more. Um, the covert type of Freemasonry coming out of um, England and Ireland, no, it's and, and the thing about funny, funny thing about Freemasonry is that they're also they, they they find there's another place where Freemasons and Catholics find common ground, ironically, is that the LGBT agenda and a techocracy agenda is both atheistic, there's no God, it's completely atheistic, it rejects God. Freemasonry believes strongly in that you have to believe in a god to be to be a Freemason. Their are goddess and cretic. It's weird, right? The Grand Architect of the Universe. We reject that. But it's a God this a it's a God centered organization it also has a strong moral law. Back when I was a Freemason, you you you'll get um expelled or 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 just blackballed if they find out that you know you're you're a Skittle. Um so there's no tolerance for um, sodomy or things like that. So, uh, very you, you hardly ever see a Grand Master who's not married. So, it's a very f- um, family-centered type of organization. It's a Masonic family. It's a Masonic marriage. It's, you know, everybody like Pope Leo the Thirteenth said, you know, your your kids, everyone, you belong to this organization. So, we reject it, but they're they're very uh, family-centered. So, they reject the whole LGBT ideology, right? Um, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very weird time, right? But as, as I said, what we're talking about today is still, so Freemasonry's influence is, it's not even something to be measured today. It's, it's, it's silly to even talk about <laughs> about Freemasonry as a, something that's influencing. Um, so yeah, you still see Freemasons here and there. Yeah, they're in the Vatican and all that, but their influence is, they're, It's not even there compared to the LGBT and the communists. But one of their lasting influences, we just see it everywhere. Like I said, in the Constitution, throughout this country, United States. But here in in, in this talk, I'm going to demonstrate that um, one of their other lasting influences is in the Greek letter rights. Right. So we're going to run them down. One by one, there's about 14 of them, all right? And I got this information largely from, from a few sources, and I'll, I'll list them for you here. Um, Freemasonry and the Development of Greek Letter Fraternities by David Stafford. is a piece, essay that he wrote in the Tennessee Lodge of Research back in 2007. An essay called Freemasonry the Greeks and Stepping, it was published in a national conference on stepping back in 2001 by David Mers- Mershon and Paul Rich. Also, an essay entitled The Greek Letter Rites. I mean, it was compiled by Jace A. Gentel. He was a master mason, or he is a master mason, perhaps. And it was published in a Scottish rights publication. All right, so let's take a look at this first one. So, um, so we're gonna start with uh, Phi Beta Kappa. So Phi Beta Kappa, they they were a Greek letter fraternity that was started in seventeen seventy six. So the year of the when the revolution started, the American Revolution started. Um, you know, the American Revolution ends in. Uh, 1781, uh, you know, the Yorktown is the famous battle for that. Um, what was the code word? Boche Rochambeau, or something like that. Yeah, so you know, a lot of people know that story. Um, so they started that year, December 5th, 1776. A group of undergraduate students attending the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, they met informally at the Raleigh Tavern they had decided to establish an organization that was unlike any other fraternal group on campus. Their organization would be dedicated to the promotion of friendship as the basis and and benevolence and literature as its pillars. The group eventually would be named Phi Beta Kappa Society, a fraternity that many credit with the tradition of American college naming themselves after Greek letter initials and um, secret Greek mottos. So hence the Greek letter fraternities was started here by Phi Beta Kappa, or at least many people give give them credit for so back in 1776. So what many people do not know is that Phi Beta Kappa's origin has strong Masonic influence. So 1776... Um, England, of course, is exporting, you know, Freemasonry to the United States. Uh, Freemasons had been in this country long before 1776. So a lot of people who fought on both sides of the American Revolution, Freemason against Freemason. Okay. So... Um, so it was interesting in that sense. You had Freemasons who believed in the crown and you have Freemasons who, especially in the United States and France, who, um, was France, United States were aligning together, um, um to fight against the crown. Okay. And, um, so it's very, interesting. you know, I get more of that in, into my book, so I won't really go into that here. But so it, it just note that this is 1776. A lot of Freemasons are in the country. Some of them are undergraduates at William & Mary College. So when the principal founder, John Heath, he was not a Mason. He, so John Heath, he's a principal founder of Phi Beta Kappa. He was not a Freemason because he's in college, but he was only 15. So, but another co-founder, Thomas Smith, was a Freemason. So Smith belonged to Williamsburg Masonic Lodge before he joined Heath as a founding member of Phi Beta Kappa. So he's a Freemason before he becomes a member of Phi Beta Kappa. So within the next year, um, nine of the founding members, nine of the founding members of Phi Beta Kappa went on to become Freemasons. And over a dozen of the subsequent fifty members would also be become Freemasons in um, in the in the in the upcoming in the upcoming years in the years to come. So in in today, you know, Phi Beta Kappa. That's really just your who's who fraternity. It's it's a who's who. You you talking about Supreme Court justices? I mean, uh, Peyton Manning. <laughs> um, um, I think it's largely. I'm an honor society, right? Um, they also, you, know, you, you find women in there. So, but it, it's anybody, <laughs> it's just a who's who in the United States. They have 284 active chapters across the United States. And since it's founding, over 150 similar organizations would emerge on college campuses across the country, with several of them being fab- established by Freemasons. So another one, so another one that was, um, let me see, um, the Acacia Society, Acacia Fraternity is really one that was um, clearly Masonic from the very beginning. Acacia, the word Acacia. Uh, Freemasons use the sprig of acacia from an evergreen tree, ever, ever, evergreen tree throughout its um, important Masonic ceremonies. In the Master Mason degree, it's because the people who had, in the and Master Mason degree, um, the builders of King Solomon Temple, one of them is, is killed. The three ruffians, um, Jubilo, Jubila, Jubalon, the three Jews, they kill this Hiram Biff character. And they bury him in brow of a Brava Hill. And when King Solomon sends out some more fellow crafts to find what had happened to Har- um, um, who's like the master builder of the temple, he's the master mason on the worksite. And they kill him. They're trying to get the secrets of a master mason. The secrets of a master mason, you know, differs whether you're. A continental or an Anglo formation, you know, the the secret obviously differs, but the point here is to um, the sprig of acacia. So, uh, so more fellow crafts goes find. Hey, what happened to you know the center find? Find out what happened to Harmer Biff. They find him buried on the Brava Hill. In the noting where he's buried, they see this sprig of acacia. Okay, so acacia. And also so the sprig of acacia also you find it used in Masonic burial rites. So they're always gonna put a sprig of acacia in the casket of their deceased brother. It's, it's an evergreen, it denotes um, eternal life, life, um, just life that never ends. So there's a lot of symbolic meaning to the sprig of acacia, both in ritual and both in just the, the symbolism of life after death. So, this is acacia fraternity. It was founded at the University of Michigan Ann Arbor on May 12, 1904, by a group of 14 Freemasons. In the beginning, membership of the fraternity required the student to be a master mason in good standing. So, initially, when it first started, you cannot join unless you're a master mason to get standing. However, due to the decline of undergraduate masons at the end of the 1920s, you know, we're talking about, you know, the um, the depression that's coming online. You know, people are going to war also. So there's um, there's a number of reasons why membership begins to drop. The fraternity began to, um, they dropped their master mason requirement in 1931 and then completely re- removed it in 1933. But the fraternity continues to use several Masonic symbols throughout its operation today, namely again the sprig of acacia, uh, which, from a case of perspective, they say it reminds Masons of the part of man that survives the grave, so his everlasting soul. Today, um, the case fraternity has forty. Um, active undergraduate chapters throughout North America. So that's Acacia Fraternity. And everyone, hello everyone also that's in the chat. Uh, I'm going to see some of the usual suspects here. Um, so Maggie, my friend Brianna, uh, Camille says, Mr. Gray, you're a treasure for Catholics interested in learning truth by Masons and their errors. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That means that means a lot to me that I don't try to share the myths. <laughs> I try to share the actual information. So the other one, uh, so the next one we're going to look at is Tau Kappa Epsilon. Um, and notice how And we're going to take a look at a lot of these symbols as well. A lot of their, a lot of their coat of arms notice in Tau Kappa Epsilon, notice the all seen eye Um, notice that the lamp, the lamp you're going to keep seeing this lamp in a lot of these fraternities, the lamp lamp stars um, um, or some of the, 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 common features and also uh, illumination. You'll you'll see these things in almost every single one. So this is taught, and also notice their slogan. That their slogan is "Better men for a better world," which is very similar to the uh, Freemasons, whose you know unofficial motto is um, "Making good men better." Right. So making good men better. Todd Sons and Better Men for a Better World, so very similar. So much like the Acacia Fraternity, Sigma Mu was also founded as an undergraduate Masonic organization. In March of 1935, three Knights Templar Freemasons, so these are high-ranking Freemasons. I'm gonna say high-ranking or Freemasons who had went on to um, into the York Right. And they became Knights Templar, which is the highest house in New York, right? So these are accomplished Freemasons. So they founded Sigma Mu fraternity on Tri State University campus. Originally, like Acacia, Sigma Mu was only for undergraduate Freemasons to get standing. However, again, with the Great Depression, um, they, they they dropped that. Requirement and eventually caused most of Sigma Moose chapter um, because of declining membership, they were absorbed into Tau Kappa Epsilon in the early 1930s. Coincidentally, um, the author here in the Scottish Rite um, essay says Tau Kappa's Tau Kappa Epsilon was also founded by Freemasons. So these two organizations. Um, Sigma Mu and Tau Kappa, who merged in the 1930s, they're both founded by Freemasons, so they have a lot in common. So it was C. Roy Addison, who's a Freemason, who started Tau Kappa. So today, Tau Kappa has 268 members and 251 active college campuses. In 1940, another Freemason named Clyde E. Shaw, he attempted to revive Sigma Mu, Sigma Mu Sigma, um, and that iteration lasts until 1952 when the organization merged again with another one, Sigma Alpha Chi, or Square and Compass Fraternity. So, and I, when I was reading this, I thought it was interesting because when I was coming, when I was becoming a Freemason back, man, I had to be what 30 years ago back in 1991. Um, when I was becoming a Freemason, we had to uh, we had to do like um, what's that called charity work. So, um, to do charity work, we couldn't do it under the auspices of some sort of Masonic lodge because we weren't Freemasons. So, the group of guys who I was coming out coming in with, I think it was maybe eight of us, um, we had to do community service, and we did it under the auspices of some club that was called the Square and Compass Club. So, anytime you see the Square and Compass Club, and there was a, there was a lot of them. Um, you know, they're talking about Freemasons, so and so, in in the next one, we're going to take a look at is Kappa Sigma Fraternity, Um, (laughs) and so, originally, Kappa Sigma was originally also called Square and Compass Fraternity. And so it was it was started in Lexington, Virginia in eighteen seventeen. So very old, by members of the Washington and Lee Masonic Clubs. Since many of its original members were also members of other Greek organizations, the group could not affiliate with other Masonic fraternities such as Acacia. So some of the members that started this one were, you know, they were already members of organizations. So they couldn't join Acacia, right? So they started a new one. So during the year, however, World War I broke out and all of its founding members either joined the Army or the Navy. And those who returned to Washington and Lee's campus would reactivate the fraternity in 1919. And fraternity underwent a vigorous expansion program in 1920. Throughout the next decade, the organization would charter 57 chapters and initiate over 5,000 members. And but then the Great Depression happened, and then World War II caused the fraternity to lose chapters and eventually reduced them into only one existing chapter on paper. There was a master mason by the name of Dr. William Mosley Brown, who kept the charter and official documents, and so eventually, um, uh, Sigma Alpha Chi reemerged in the late nineteen forties. In nineteen fifty two, Sigma Alpha uh, Chi. And Sigma Mu Sigma, who we just talked about, would merge into an organization known today as Sigma Mu Square and Compass. The exception was the Lambda Chapter at Elon University in Elon, North Carolina, which would be incorporated and become Lambda Lambda Chapter of Kappa Sigma Fraternity in 1973. Uh, Kappa Sigma Fraternity's ritual was written by one of their founders in 1970 by the name, a man, by the name of Steven Alonzo Jackson, who was a Freemason from Virginia. So we're on our fourth fraternity now, I think four out of 14. And so we're seeing the trend here. Um, and also look at the, the coat of arms for Sigma Kappa Sigma fraternity, a brotherhood like no other. Of course they have the stars, um, but really no other common elements that we'll, we'll, we'll see with some of the other fraternities, such as the, um, the lamp and the all-seeing eye or any um, points of illumination. So now let's take a look at the next one, um, Sigma Nu. So um, Sigma Nu established after James Frank Hopkins was raised to the Master Mason degree in 1868. At Mount City Lodge, um, number 67, in Lexington, Virginia, during his third year at Virginia Military Institute, VMI. So, after witnessing hazing incidents and in other fraternities on VMI campus the following year, it said, um, the author is saying that uh, here that um, Frank James Frank Hawkins was inspired to create a similar organization which would better represent a returning life than what was on his campus. So he doesn't like the hazing that's going on, so he wants to start his own thing. He's a master mason. So on January 1st, 1869, Hopkins, along with fellow undergraduates and Confederate Army Civil War veterans, Greenfield Quarles and James Riley, they established the Legion of Honor, which would be, which would become Sigma Nu. Today, Sigma Nu continues to impart teachings of Freemasonry into its undergraduates in uh, 184 chapters on the college campuses throughout the United States. So they have a total membership, undergraduate membership of 230,000 estimated right now. And so here's Sigma Nu. Um, this is a this is number five, another organization that's imparting Masonic teachings. They're not. They're not a Masonic Lodge. They're no way affiliated with a Grand Lodge, so we can't call them uh, formally Masonic or Freemasons, but they have a ritual and a teaching that's influencing undergraduates on campus. So these undergraduates may never go on to become Freemasons, but these young men, 18, 19, 20, 21, have received... Um, teachings through their undergraduate fraternity that are aligned with Masonic principles. So that's what's, that's what's going on here. In um, this one, like Brianna says, yeah, a lot of these had a lot of similar things. So let's take a, look, a quick look at their shield. Um, I think I may have a note on theirs because it looks kind of complicated. So this is so Sigma Nu do I have, no, I don't have one on them, but um, you see at the top of their their coat of arms, there seems to be some sort of illumination there, right? Um, uh, we see the swords cross. That's a common feature in in a lot of these fraternities. Um, it typically always represents, you know, the defense and protection and things like that. So that's that's Sigma Nu. Let's get to the to the sixth one. Um, this is Kappa Alpha. So this is Kappa Alpha. Urson um, says, um, still a member? No, I haven't been a member since 2006. Uh, Brianna says, so I'm going to say correctly. most of these started by Freemasons or is an arm. So these, yes. Yeah, so none of them are like an arm of Freemasons, uh, of, of any sort of Masonic Grand Lodge. They're just all started, either founded by or influenced by Freemasons and Freemasonry. I think most of them, I, I think I, there's only two here. I think maybe one I'm going to go over that the founding member was not a Freemason at all, but he knew a lot about Freemasonry. He just tried to put it into like the fraternity's ritual. But the only the only one that you ever hear about, like having any sort of former relationship with some sort of Grand Lodge, it's probably the Acacia fraternity. That's, that's, that's probably it because remember that all of these organizations, I think that we're going to go over, um, a lot of them, like we just talked about, started off saying that you can only be a master Mason to join, but something happened along the way so that, um, their membership isn't exclusively master Masons anymore. So, um, They cannot, so therefore, they cannot be properly called Masonic organizations if you have non-Freemasons in them. Yet, the rituals, the initiation rituals, and the principles of these organizations are still communicating Masonic principles. So, um, it's kind of like becoming, you know, getting Masonic knowledge without ever becoming Freemason. So you're just uh, teaching what Freemasonry teaches to young men um you know outside of the structure of the Masonic Lodge so it's, it's really like a really nefarious way to keep promoting Masonic teachings out of free, out of Freemasonry so it's, it's really weird and it, it kind of also skirts you know as Catholics we know the prohibition from the Popes and from the canon law that you cannot be a Freemason right um and there's only been, I think, four organizations, three organizations that the church has prohibited. It was the, of course, the Freemasons. It was, uh, and that was in 1738. And then I think sometime in 17, uh, I think 40s, they said we cannot be members of the Carbonari, which was like a secret society. Um, a lot of Freemasons belonged to, but was not an American organization. And then there was in 19. 19- in, in 19, I think 40 something, um, they said the church taught that you cannot become communist, right? So the Catholic Church never says you cannot become a member of Greek-like or organization, but it does say you cannot become a member of an organization that plots against the church. So, so it's interesting that these fraternities come along, and are able to um, get people to be members, and yet the Catholic Church. It, they're kind of, they kind of, you know, it's kind of like, um, what do you call that? Uh, what do you call that when there's a law and then you find uh, like a loophole? Yeah, kind of like a loophole, right? So, and then a lot of young men are just not really aware of what these organizations are teaching until they become a member of these organizations. So, they're being fed all these Masonic principles and all these Masonic teachings just completely unaware. And then it's also affecting them. It's also affecting the campus. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's um, it has some degree of influence. We just don't, um, yeah, Lupo, yeah, it has some degree of influence. It's really interesting. Another one of them is, is here, Kappa Alpha. You see, you know, you're looking at their crest. You see, again, you see the sun rays. You see the, the illumination. Right. Um, I think that's the only. I think. Um. I don't think that's a. Is this Kappa? Yeah, Kappa Alpha. And so their colors are supposed to. Their crimson red is supposed to represent blood sacrifice. Um. The color gold is supposed to represent the money spent on defensive country. Um, the crest worn on the helmet. Um, you always oftentimes you'll see this helmet, right? We'll see that um, that's supposed to designate their leader, right? And the leader also has a battle axe that he's holding, right? So he's striking out against their foes. So the Kappa Alpha, also known as Kappa Alpha Order. It was established in, in Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia, in 1865. All right. So James Wood and three other students originally established the fraternity as Phi Kappa Chi. However, the local chapter Phi Kappa Psi protested the new fraternity's name was too similar to theirs. Um, during their lives, all four original founders were Master Masons. And wood belonged to the Moorfield Lodge in Moorfield, West Virginia. In 1866, the ritual was written by Samuel Z. Amen, who had been been made a master mason as well. So making him the practical founder of Kappa Alpha Order. Amen later stated, this is what he says in quotes, I drew heavily upon my experience as a master mason in crafting a new ritual. Their ceremony of ritual, their ceremony of initiation utilizes various symbols from the York Rice Nice temporalization. Organization. And we're talking about this um, Freemasons, Freemasons would call these degrees the degrees of chivalry. So, you know, the helmet, the crest, all these knighthood things. Um, Amen is saying he drew from that as well as symbolism from just the, the, the three, the craft degrees, which are the first three degrees. So they openly admit that their ritual came from, you know, various Masonic degrees. And then the next one. This one was Lambda Chi Alpha. <clears throat> um, Lambda Chi Alpha was found on the campus of Boston University by Warren Cole and a group of fellow undergraduates in November 1909. And um, the fourth largest fraternity in North America, with two hundred eighty members, two hundred eighty thousand members spread across two hundred eighteen university campuses internationally. Um, the founder Cole was a fifty-year member of Pioneer Lodge, so he's an old guy. <laughs> right. Um. Uh, so um. So more significantly, the founders. Um. The 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 fraternity's ritual was written by a Freemason. Named Jack Mason of Philadelphia Lodge in Pennsylvania. His goal was to prove the organization's ritual practices while instilling various Masonic lessons throughout their ceremony, including familiar symbols like the compass, light, and similar degree structure to that of traditional Blue Lodges. So, here, Lambda Chi Alpha is very interesting. So, not only founded by a Freemason but um their ritual also written by written uh, written intentionally by a freemason so as we look at as we look at the coat of arms um, you know we see the the lamp a common feature uh, we see a crescent and a cross um we see the crown also we see from the crescent and the cross, we see the illumination and the light. Again, a common feature. So they're really hitting—they're really hitting everything here with with, with their coat of arms. Um, Alpha Phi Alpha. I talked about this before in in the pre, in the video I did when someone asked the question. You know, can you can you be a Catholic and also belong to a Greek leg organization? We talked about Alpha Phi Alpha in another one that I get to. So Alpha Phi Alpha, look at their, you know, you look at their their coat of arms. Again, you see the, you know, you see the knighthood. Also, you see the illumination with the torches. So they're hitting some of the common themes here. So Alpha Phi Alpha was the um, um was arguably the first Greek letter fraternity established by Established for in uh, for Black Americans, um, it is not the first Greek letter fraternity um, that consisted largely of Black Americans. That would be um, Sigma Pi Phi, but that one was more professional. It was like all doctors who started that one, so professional. But as far as undergraduate go, it would be Alpha Phi Alpha, founded at Cornell University. Um, in 1906. So, um, so the principal founder, Charles Poindexter, met with 15 students, which included Vetner Tandy, who was a Freemason from Lexington, Kentucky, and George B. Kelly, who's also a Freemason. So um, some of his 15 founders, two of them are known to be Freemasons, probably others so the organization held its first initiation of its new members in a masonic lodge in ithia new york so the author here in this piece says the legend has it that while the masonic lodge while uh, the legend has it that while in the masonic lodge they opened up the lockers and used various masonic regalia that was found inside in order to enhance their own ritual. So they're here initiating their new members, like, hey, let's go use some stuff from <laughs> the Freemasons in our ritual to enhance it. Very interesting. So the fraternity also used many Egyptian things, such as the great things, great things of Giza in the Regalian symbols. Today the fraternity has over 400 charter collegiate chapters with more than 250,000 members. A lot of um, a lot of the who's who in black American history belong to um, Alpha Phi Alpha. You name the person. They either belong to Alpha Phi Alpha or probably Omega Psi Phi, which we'll get to shortly. But another one, another um, predominantly black um, fraternity was Sigma, Phi Beta Sigma. Phi Beta Sigma. Phi Beta Sigma. Um, it was founded on the campus of Howard University in Washington D.C. in 1914 by three Af- by three black male students. Although it is unclear as whether the organization was directly started by Freemasons, um, the founder, Langston Taylor, was an active Freemason, but it's not known whether he's a Freemason before or after they started a Phi Beta Kappa. Although the organization does mention that its practices are based upon Masonic influence. So this is something that they openly admit. So again, you look at the coat of arms, you see the dove, you see the stars, um, you see the illumination, the light. Again, we see the common themes. Uh, we also see the handshake of fellowship. Um, I think we saw that we saw that here with tall kappa epsilon. You see the same handshake. I mean, a lot of the same symbols is tall kappa epsilon. So you got the books. You see up on books. You got the the idea of scholarship. And so a lot of the similar things by these organizations that's influenced by Freemasonry. And we'll get the Phi Alpha Omega. So Phi Alpha Omega is a co-ed service organization. Um was founded on the principles of fellowship derived from Freemasonry and from Scout's Law of the Boy Scouts of America. So the founder, Frank Reed Hurton, a 14 other undergraduates founded fraternity in 1905 at Lafayette College in Easton, Pennsylvania. So Horton was a Master Mason. He became a Master Mason in 1918 in Western Star Lodge number 37 in New York, Norfolk, Connecticut. Um so his influence, is his his experience from Freemasonry, the things he learned there is also things he learned from scouting, inspired him to start Alpha Phi Omega. Uh, since its founding organizations has become one of the largest fraternities in the United States with 350 chapters and 400,000 members. So, And then we come to Omega Psi Phi, uh, the fraternity that I joined um, when I was a young man. Um, so this fraternity had three founders and had um, uh, founded at Howard University. His founders were just love cooper and coleman and it was edgar amos love who is a prince hall freemason he belonged to corinthian lodge number 68 in washington dc and um now, now it has 250 chapters across the across the world and again uh, some of the just who's who in black american history people like bill cosby langston hughes um, Jesse Jackson senior, Shaquille O'Neal, Michael Jordan, um, Jalen Hurts of Philadelphia. So just a lot of the who's who. But also another one. Again, looking looking at their the the crest, you know you see the swords, you see the shield, you see the lamp, you see the star. Um, common features of these um, Masonic, these organizations that has some Masonic influence. Uh, and then we come to Alpha, Tau, Omega. I'm looking at their crests. Uh, again, we see the stars. We don't see a whole lot here with them. But this organization, but this is this is the organization, this is the fraternity, which was not founded by Freemasons. But it was heavily influenced by Freemasonry because the founder, Otis Allen Glazebrook, uh, the author here says he was often intrigued by the medieval mysteries and Masonic lore. So, like Sigma Nu, fraternity also was founded on the campus of Virginia Military Institute in 1865. Now, the organization has 250 charter chapters with over a quarter million members across the United States. And then we come to Delta Tall Delta. So Delta Tall Delta was um again oh you know, and this is this, this this one this, this this shield right here is just like all over the place. I looked at this coat of arms, I was like, come on man, you got you got the all-seeing eye, <laughs> you got you got the stars, and then you got the other star, you got the the um the rope like, you know, you're going to use in, you know, Masonic ceremonies in, in three degrees, the cable toe. you got that there in, in the red one on top, you got the whole, you got the whole square, right. You got the 90 degree square. Um, in the green one, you got the harp, which in the fellow craft degree, um, um, music is one of the liberal arts that, you know, you, you want to emphasize there in that degree. So, this 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 whole coat of arms is just like just <laughs> there's really nothing original about it they kind of look at looked at the <laughs> look at the ritual of three degrees Hey let's take this let's take all these things and put them in our in our crest is is really quite obvious but this fraternity was founded through the it's really interesting so it looks like some people came together there's some sort of literary society on Bethany College um, that's known as the Neo-Trophian Society. And so the students met, it looks like in this organization, to take control of this organization. They took control of it in 1858. And then they turned, uh, and then they, so after they take the control of this literal organization, they rewrite its charter. They rewrite the charter and constitution and name and badge and ritual and motto. They just reformed the whole thing and they become Delta Tau Delta. So among these eight men was a Freemason named William R. Cunningham, who was influential in developing a ritual and constitution, which contains Masonic language and symbolism. So today the fraternity has almost 140 chapters on campuses across the United States. And in the William R. Cunningham, um, I hate to see the ritual, Of this fraternity because if this is what he did with his shield just completely borrowing everything from freemasonry that he can think of and and just throwing it on here i can't not imagine what's in their ritual of initiation i mean what is it (laughs) it it has to be off the hook and then there's um, pi kappa phi um, looking at their their shield, again, you see the lamp. Very common feature. It's it's for illumination, it's for light, it's for knowledge. Um, you see the stars here, you see a, a square, a ninety degree square. It's like just like the square and compass, and you see the swords. All right. So not again, nothing original here, just more of more of the same. That we see all these organizations that's influenced by Freemasonry. And are teaching Masonic principles to young men. So, the founder, Lawrence Harry Mixon, is a master Mason. Uh, He's from Charleston, South Carolina. And he aided in founding Phi Kappa Phi, Pi Kappa Phi, and also worked the organization's ritual, which was influenced by his Masonic background, the author says. Mixon, along with Two fellow undergraduates founded Phi Kappa Phi on December 1904 on a college at Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. Originally, a fraternity was known as New Phi, which stood for non-fraternity. But today, the organization has more than 170 chapters with more than 113,000 lifetime members. And... uh, And then our last one that we're going to get to um, is a sorority. So up until this time, up until this moment, we've just been talking about fraternities for men. So we'll also throw in a sorority here of women. So um, so, um, just to demonstrate that men's fraternities were not the only ones being influenced by Masonic principles. Also, you have women. So the 15 founding members of Phi Omega Pi were all members of the Order of the Eastern Star. So the Order Eastern Star, um, back when this sorority had started, your Eastern Stars would only have been either Master Mason's wife, his mother, sister, or daughter. Those are the only people... Those only type of people that can become Eastern star, a, a, a close blood relation mm-hmm. to a master Mason. So all of these women were Eastern stars and they go on to start this fraternity uh, Phi Omega Pi in 1922 on the campus of University of Nebraska. The organization was originally known as Eheleif, which means sister in Hebrew and was exclusive to undergraduate Eastern star members in 1933. The organization dropped the Masonic requirement. And again, we've seen this as a common theme. The great depression happens, wars happen. And then because of that, because of low enrollment, they dropped the requirement. All right. And then afterwards they were granted, um, once they dropped that requirement, they became mainstream, which means they were accepted into the National Panel and Council of North America. And then later that same year, 1933, the organization was absorbed, absorbed two other sororities, um, Sigma Pi Beta and Sigma Sigma Omicron. And then in 1946, an organization was absorbed into Delta Zeta Sorority, which has over 100 and today has over 160 collegiate chapters, nearly 250 members, including, and um, which makes it the third largest sorority in the United States. So the third largest sorority in the United States um, started by Eastern Stars. Um, of course, it's getting absorbed. We don't know what their ritual looks like. Um, looking at their coat of arms, you know, we, we, we do see the, the lamp. Uh, we do see the open book and on, on top, it looks like a square on top. looks like a, a square. So, so these are just, so we really just cover 14. Um, of greek letter fraternities and sororities but there there are like so many Uh, i think um i'm close to being here for an hour we could have went on for like much longer right but these the one the ones we mentioned are the ones that are the largest they're on the most campuses and they've been around the longest so these are your predominant ones And, um, and then Brianna says, I wonder how many join them, sign Tim after these fraternities. That'd be inter- Yeah, I would be interested to know that. And, and, and that's a good point because these organizations aren't like Masonic youth groups. They're not like the Pythagorans or Job's Daughters or Rainbow Girls. where they're like, they're grooming those teenagers and, and younger people to Eventually, become take that next step to become an Eastern Star, take that next step to become a master mason, and they give them a, some incentive to do so. Like in some places, your order demolay, um, whereas you know typically you have to be 18 to become a master mason or 21. In some jurisdictions, if you're a member of a demolay, a youth group, that say, Oh, you can join 18 or 17. So there's always some incentive there for them to become a master mason. But so yeah, I wonder what uh, with no incentive in place with the college fraternity, maybe um, for most of them. Um, yeah, I wonder how many do go on and join. How many actually know like what they're learning is <coughs> based upon Masonic influence? Like how do they when they're, when they're learning these these principles, whatever they are, um, how, did they, how many of them know that that's like influence from Freemasonry. So, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. So, all right. That's the end of the show. Been here for an hour. Appreciate everyone here for the live and everyone who coming in for listening to recording later. Um, again, please hit that like button. I appreciate it. And I will see you next week. Um, But until then, and until next time, blessings and shalom to you and to yours. Love you all. See you next time.